The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. 1148 here on the East Coast as we sit down uh, to put a bow on week three. Now, we still have, still have UTEP in action against Abilene Christian. They currently hold a 17 to 10 lead, I am informed. And uh, if they win, what's that, two and one for the Miners? Yeah, they're going to be two and one. They're... I think that'll be the first time they've won two games in a year in quite a long time. So it's who is their other win? Who'd they get? Who'd they get earlier in the year? Uh, Stephen F. Austin, I think it was. Oh, just just racking them up. And yeah. and look, like we got to have the conversation. Texas is a quality loss, you know. No doubt. Quality loss right there. <laughs> They're putting together a playoff resume right now. <laughs> <laughs> UTEP to the playoff. You heard it here first on the uh, the week three instant reaction. A lot to get to. I think uh, our, our headline game of the night, Miami 47, Louisville 34. That was the one we just put to bed. But kind of a, a busy... A busy day. Things got started. We had a Louisville scare, uh, not a Louisville, a Louisiana scare uh, against Georgia State as they were on the road against the Sun Belt foe. An Oklahoma State scare. Spencer Sanders leaves that game with an injury. UCF Georgia Tech got a little sideways there for a minute. Um, you know which, which which way do y'all want to go on this one? Where do y'all want to start? What still lingers in your mind as uh, as some of the the big exciting developments from Week Three? Barton, do you want to start with your broken heart? <laughs> I, I mean, it depends on which which broken heart are you talking about. I feel like my heart got broken a few times over the course of the Saturday. Uh, I mean, early in the day, uh, obviously my my playoff my my playoff pick Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State <laughs> was was looking far from playoff worthy. Uh, that was that was that was not good. Um, the problem there is, Oh, you wrote about this. We got game day, right? in Barton today, game day, right? in Barton. They want me to, they want me to write on the game days these days. <laughs> uh, so, so I, I just, I wrote in my diary about how I was feeling about Oklahoma state and, you know, honestly, not as bad as, as a 16, seven, game against Tulsa where you had under 300 yards of offense would suggest. I think when your quarterback is gone in the second series of the game and you have cleared out your quarterback room because you played a redshirt freshman and all that you got in there is a is a Juco transfer that isn't that good and you got Tylen Wallace kind of getting back, you know, kind of getting loose, kind of getting warm. You got an offensive line that, yes, admittedly, is really bad, but <laughs> but they could perhaps improve. Sure, like. <laughs> it'll be hard for them to get worse than the way they played today against that mighty Tulsa defensive front. 
Hey, Philip Montgomery thought this was going to be a, a good defense for Tulsa this year. So the deep at the deep, Oklahoma State's defense was great. Oklahoma State's defense was great, and uh, they get the true freshman quarterback in there after Gundy's had enough of the of the JUCO kid, and the guy makes a few throws, makes a few plays, and they 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 survive. It's better than Iowa State. You know, it's better than it's better than what happened last week with the rest of the Big Twelve. But and that so, was my sense. A win to win is that we're we're like grading Oklahoma State, and they are closer to that jumbled middle than they are to Oklahoma and Texas. Like if you fancy, yeah, yes. yeah, if you fancy the Cowboys in 2020 as a team that was going to be there in the mix, like to go back to your instant reaction last week, the the one percenters in the Big 12 did not welcome uh, anybody else. Like the elite, the uh, the wealthy class and the ruling class in the Big 12 is not going <laughs> to include Mike Gundy. No, they they sh- Mike Gundy showed up to the the neighborhood cocktail party wearing jean shorts and an OAN shirt (laughs) (laughs) they said are you sure you're in the right neighborhood and they kicked him the hell out (laughs) but I so you you are not concerned about this because that was concerned of course I'm concerned yes Texas or Oklahoma would not have done that to Tulsa um, I imagine I'm scanning not not giving up yeah I'm I'm not gonna give up I'm not gonna like scrap my pick I'm but I'm I'm certainly concerned. I will say there is a silver lining in that I do feel like based on previous seasons, what we've seen with Oklahoma State against teams that it's supposed to beat and how it's been caught off guard and lost. That was a game that Oklahoma State could have lost and it might have lost last year. It might have lost the year before that. It did get the win, even though it lost, you know, its quarterback. It did survive. It wasn't pretty. There are problems because, again, that offensive line does not fill me with any confidence going forward. I mean, Chuba Hubbard didn't couldn't do anything, and it wasn't Chuba's fault. But I do think that, you know, you get through it. It's your first game of the year. You were planning on playing it last week. It got postponed. Okay, it's a scare. Get back, get healthy, and maybe you bounce back from it. So it's not the end of the world, but it is really hard to be confident in your confidence in Oklahoma State after watching that game today. No, yeah, we're, we're not going to get caught up in style points this year. This year, we're just going to survive in advance, and I will, <laughs> I will take, I will take a W for my for my pokes. Do you have any fanatics gear from Oklahoma State? I think it's my turn to buy some T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you I, get uh, get OAN on the nine. I just needed to get my <laughs> OAN shirt. On. I'll, I'll get I'll get uh, Kyle Porter and the pistols firing uh, right. crowd to be That's able right. to uh, to come to come and hook you up with something. Okay, so that was that was heartbreak number one. Was heartbreak number two the Demon Deacons falling short in an absolutely like defense free contest on Saturday night here in Raleigh. I think that's, I think I would call that heartbreak number two. Um, only and that, that's, that wasn't like, I mean, that, that was just a, a, a bet I lost um, that I thought was the right side, but the, in the game, I thought it was the right side before the game during the game. Like I think Wake was frankly fortunate to be as close as they were. Wake had their moments. Like there was, there was the, there was the, the, particularly like early in the game, I was like, "Oh, what happened to like the the like ex, the extended mesh? Like, what happened to the you know walk the walk the dog <laughs> up to the line of scrimmage and then like let him go to the bathroom and then uh, so the, then so as the game progressed, we saw a little more of that like these like bizarro runs where the the running back just sort of walks to the line of scrimmage, stops like and then like sprints to the outside and. You know, the, the old wake started to shine through. And Sam Hartman made some, like, fun throws on big downs. David Kloss was going for it on fourth, all this stuff. But honestly, the story for me was NC State. Like, NC State's offense, Tom couldn't watch most of it because he didn't have the ACC network until the fourth quarter. Chip, did you watch any of it? First and second quarter, and then I had to sort of turn my focus to – I was live blogging Miami Louisville and mm-hmm. uh, had to do some end-of-day wrap-up writing. So third and fourth quarter, I was mostly just on Miami-Louisville. I mean, I don't really know what to make of NC State um, because they gave up 42 points on defense. Um, seven of those was a pick six. But uh, offensively, like, 
I I wasn't I wasn't blown away by the Tim Beck hire. I didn't think I was. I didn't necessarily. Well, I don't think Tim Beck's doing anything fancy. At least from what I saw, I think with Bam Knight and Ricky Person, you've got really really good running backs. Like but really good. Point, like, like he like they, like he he caught a great game. Yeah. Like they, that offense was like was on point, and they and offensive they line the was looking good. They were and establishing. He was, he was giving easy access throws to a quarterback that's got very mediocre talent. But oh, and but, by the way, which quarterback was that? It's <laughs> Bailey Hockman. Like, Shout out to out Florida State. Seeing. Yeah. Bailey Hockman thrive. I mean, there wasn't a single throw the entire game where you where you didn't think like that's got a shot at getting intercepted. But he, <laughs> but 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 all, like they were all like the guys were open. Like he was he was hitting open receivers, and and to his credit, like he he did a good job other than one throw. And so um, I, I just was I was very very impressed with NC State's offense. Their offensive line looks physical. They got three. Really good backs, Bam Knight, Ricky Person, and then this Jordan Houston kid, who's who's kind of the the all-purpose type in the mix. Uh, I, I I mean, NC State is they can beat some people, um, and especially if that defense can kind of get a little bit sturdier. But that that was a really fun game to watch four quarters of. For, oh, I, like you said, I think I only got to see really the fourth quarter, but I want to give a shout out to all our listeners because I was complaining on Twitter about not having the ACC network. And a lot of our listeners were very, very friendly and welcoming and with their uh, login info for the ACC. <laughs> Shout out to that you. Was up. Yeah, they were, they were offering it to me. So if you offered it to me, if I didn't respond, still, I really appreciate it. But from what I did see, I didn't get to see much, but just looking at the box score, like the NC State's defense, like they did give up 42 points. But if you look at the box score, Wake only had 385 total yards. They averaged four and a half yards play. It was more of a volume of being on the field yeah. type of thing from the looks of it. And they also, they had six sacks, 12 tackles for loss. So I feel like they probably made some big plays. But yeah, from what I saw, like I came on and, you know, Wake Forest was winning and it's like they'd come back. So I didn't really see any of the comeback. And then as soon as I tuned it in that fourth quarter, it was pretty much all NC State from that point on. So I didn't really get a great feel of the game from anything I saw. New it was very weird. There were like moments like Wake would Wake would kind of be dominated and then there'd be moments there'd be like a drive or two where just Sam Hartman would just be in a zone and then they'd just roll and, and, and score a touchdown and you'd think, oh, Wake's going to Wake's now, now Wake makes the run. But um, but no, you're right. Like in the big moments, um, especially late that that NC State defense picked it up. I'm going to go. Uh, so. I don't know. Would you all consider Dave Doran heading into the season being a hot seat kind of guy? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm applying some Dave Doran hot seat principle. And Wake Forest, <laughs> Wake had won the last three in this series. So your in-state yeah. rival, like it used to be a game that always would just go back and forth. You win on your home field, you lose away, and that's just kind of the way the series was. But with three straight and the potential of do, going four straight – that would be two wins in a row in Raleigh against Dave Doran. I think, like, I think that as, as much as we think about North Carolina, it's one of those seasons where I, w I will be on NC State against the spread against UNC because those are going to be the games that matter a whole lot to those NC State fans. They're not expecting an ACC championship, but wins against in-state opponents, boy, that can go a long way. New principle, Dave Doran backed into a corner. It's not quite Gus Malzahn yet, but it is that same sort of idea that right when everything heats up and the frustrations get high, gets a little creative and uh, figures out his way out of it. I'm Don't with it. puts Dave Doran in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> I think I now at least like know what NC State is. Like that was my big problem with NC State going into the years. Like I, I didn't really quite understand what we were about to unpack. And I think, I think I know what they are now. And I kind of like what they are. I think they're going to be a fun team to follow. If they want to be a team that plays in like 87 point games that are close all season long, that's, <laughs> they got my approval doing it. So what'd y'all think about UCF's debut? Uh, first time that we got to wrap our arms around the Knights in a uh, 49 to 21 win against Georgia Tech. I think that Dylan Gabriel is still very good at pushing the ball down the field. And that's exactly what they were doing. At that, that's when they were at their best against Georgia Tech. He threw for 417 yards, 
four touchdowns. He had the interception, and it was he had he took some deep shots, and it's just the accuracy he has on deep balls is about thirty times better than the accuracy he has on underneath stuff. But the deep stuff works out so well for them that it really hasn't been a problem for UCF, and it wasn't a problem for them today against Georgia Tech, who I thought didn't really look bad. But I do think that watching that game, I felt like UCF was the much better team. And UCF was, you know, it, it was never really in doubt, even though Georgia Tech kind of closed things up before UCF pulled away again in the fourth quarter to make it, you know, a 28-point game. But my other takeaway from it was, man, if Florida State struggled this much with Georgia Tech last week and UCF is doing this to Georgia Tech this week, you know, I know the transitive property is the transitive <laughs> property, but still, it's not a great sign for Florida State going forward, I don't think. I don't think so. No, I think, um, you know, the, the, the thing that's so exciting, like UCF, cause like you're saying, Tom, and, and I had sort of had half eye on this game for most of it. Um, I wasn't like dialed in, but I was, so, that was sort of like on, on the, on the screen. Um, and through, throughout most of the game, it felt like Georgia Tech had a shot and they're yeah. in it and it was close and like they were competitive and they, you know, they could, you know, I, I had Georgia Tech uh, plus seven and a half in the game. I, I felt at, at several points, I was like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right here. And then you, and then you blink and uh, UCF wins by 28. And it's like, that's, they, they make it look so, so easy when they do that. And that's that like, there's, the Miamis and the Florida States and the like UCLA's and like the, like some of these programs that should be able to get athletes and skill and should be able to score mass quantities that don't. Um, I'm obviously I'm, I'm counting the old Miami out. We'll get to the new Miami later. (laughs) Uh, but, but like it's just like you want them to be like UCF and um, you know, and Nebraska wants to be like UCF. That staff just left UCF. And, and so I, I'm, I am very impressed with UCS ability to put their foot on the gas. All of a sudden you look up and Dylan Gabriel's got four tugs and 400 yards passing. And, uh, and that's because they, they, they facilitate their athletes. They do a really good job of facilitating their athletes. Georgia Tech just broke down. I mean, it was, it was like they were right there and it's for a perception standpoint, it's good that UCF nearly put up a 50 burger because it's going to fall in line with the narrative, like AP voters and selection committee and people who didn't necessarily watch it all that closely. They look at that game. They're like, Oh look, that's a UCF score. Like that's was it's uh 49 to 21, right? Yeah. 49 mm-hmm. to 21. Oh yeah. 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 That's, that's a UCF football score right there. But in reality, yeah, for three quarters, this game was have it was sloppy. There were turnovers on both sides. It was like Georgia tech, like tricked UCF into playing the kind of game that Georgia tech could win. And then the Knights finally shook them loose and just kind of got like the, the, the nagging little tag off their jacket, just ripped it out and just ran forever. Yeah, because there there are warning signs, I think, for UCF going forward where, where you know, they may trip up and lose a game in the AAC because, you know, they first of all, they had 660 yards of offense, which yeah. is just ridiculous. They ran 92 plays, averaged over seven yards per play. And it's like, that's awesome. That's UCF. But on the other side, it's like you said, Chip, Georgia Tech had 471 yards. They almost had 500 yards of offense. They averaged nearly six yards per so that is, is still, you know, it was kind of soft at times. It buckled up when it needed to, especially in the second half. It only allowed that one touchdown, but it did give up a long drives. And, you know, Georgia Tech did have that fumble in the red zone. They turned it over five times. So I think that, you know, you can't rely on five turnovers every week and you can't rely on your opponent to shoot themselves in the foot in the red zone a couple times like Georgia Tech did. But still, if UCF's playing like that on offense, they're going to win most games in the AAC and it's going to be really difficult for teams to beat them. Speaking of the AAC, is it uh, overblowing the result to say that that Navy win was like, okay, it is overblowing it to say it's program changing, but it was a season changing turnaround. Yeah, I, I, 
I don't think it's overstating it because if it's not just that Navy won, like if, if Navy no, 55 wins to three, set, yeah, 55 to three comes into this as I'm thinking about it. Like yeah. you had that awful performance against BYU. You had two weeks for everyone to be bagging on you. And the fact that you didn't tackle now here comes Tulane with its option offense and, and they jump out to a 24 to nothing yeah. league. And everyone's like, Oh man, Navy's like bad, bad. Yeah, they Navy could have just packed it in and called it a season right there. And some teams would have, but they did it. They battled back. They they had the come, you know, they got the safety which kind of kickstarted a lot for them in the second half there. It's a huge win just for morale if anything else. I don't know if it's going to, you know, lead to them having a great season, but if they would have lost that game and just let it slip. Did you get much eye, many eyes on this Barton? No, I didn't get I didn't get many eyes on it. I saw the I saw the score, saw the halftime score, and I figured, you know, Navy must be pretty bad. Um, I guess they're just, I guess one week of tackling isn't going to solve everything. <laughs> and then I look up and, uh, you know, Navy comes back and they win. I think I saw like the, the game winning field goal or whatever. And then I look over and I'm like, Oh no, it's not Navy. That's actually really, really bad. It's MTSU. That's really, really bad. <laughs> it's MTSU. That is exactly who they looked like they were against army. That team's bad. That team yes. is. So it's what, uh, is it UTEP and middle Tennessee are probably the bottom 25, like top contenders right now. UTEP just let's let's show the miners some respect but no middle Tennessee was very much in the conversation as the number one team in the bottom 25 last week now that Navy's on the board with a win and middle Tennessee lost to Troy 47 to 14 I haven't you know done all the ratings yet there's got to be a lot of updates in the stats but I would say that the Blue Raiders are one of the favorites to be number one in this week's bottom 25 the Blue Raiders were my, I think they were my pick to be in the Converse USA championship Ooh. game this year. <laughs> my bad. My bad. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, Middle Tennessee's problem is it uses sidearm stats instead of stat broadcast. <laughs> I'm opening the box score here because I didn't look. I want to, I want to see what this looked like statistically. Let's see. Um. Yeah. Shout out to all the stat broadcast loyalists. We appreciate you. <laughs> uh, you know, if you look at the box score, it wasn't that. Oh, this isn't the right game. This is a game against Rice from last year. Thanks, Silo. That's, uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so yeah. I can't see the stats. But 47 to 14, lost to Troy. Well, let's see. I've got the team. I've just got the team stats pulled up here and just. Uh, 30 first downs to 15, 496 yards to 241. <laughs> <laughs> Asher O'Hare, what happened? 150 pass yards, 87 rush yards. Uh, they gave up 240 yards on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd say the score was representative of the ass beating. The so I... I think the the conclusion we can come here. If you're a person who plays like college football DFS, find the running back playing Middle Tennessee that week <laughs> and put them in your lineup. Yeah, um, I'd say so. All right, coming up on the other side, we'll take a look at one of the biggest games of the day: the showdown between top twenty-five teams in the ACC. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Miami, uh, 47-34 winners against Louisville uh, on the road. They jumped out to an early lead, 20-6 at halftime, and and kind of controlled it from there, sort of went tit for tat. Every time that Louisville showed a little bit of a spark, Miami had an answer for them. And to me, you know, if our big takeaway from the UAB game was like, wow, look, they got this up-tempo rushing attack, and, you know, Cameron Harris and Jalen Knight and Derek King, they can, they can be really dangerous. But I felt like they were, just my observation at the time, a little bit limited through the passing attack, just in that if it wasn't Brevin Jordan, I don't know who it was going to be. There were some drops. Uh, there were some times where King missed some receivers. But, and this is what I, I'm still going to have to to work work through a little bit, especially as we get more data. I don't know whether the more versatile passing attack, one that had Michael Harley, one that had Mark Pope, um, one that had, yes, Brevin Jordan, of course, as the most targeted and uh, top receiver for Miami. But, I mean, Derek King threw for 300 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and he was he was working the ball around, finding space against this Louisville defense. Are you a believer in the full, well-rounded, uh, balanced Miami offense at this point? I'm, I'm more – I'm certainly um, – that, that was um, – the Derek King that I was hoping to see like that. He looked, that looked like, like a good Derek King. That looked like 2018 Derek King. That looked like a Derek King that can accomplish a lot at Miami. I think Miami can accomplish a lot with that Derek King can, can accomplish a lot with that Rhett Lashley. Um, and so, no, I, I think that, I think you gotta be very encouraged by that showing. And, and yeah, I think that that's a, you know, that, production at quarterback the production in the past game isn't gimmicky like he was making throws he was accurate like they're on point like it it's it looked as good as the stats to me um and so I, I think that's a really encouraging showing by miami you know the last couple of weeks I, i've been honest about my feelings of this season i've been kind of you know not super excited a little non-plus not really into it Miami made me feel the tingle again <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> I am. I know that maybe my better judgment is Miami making me feel. I'm all in on the Kansas this year. They are the best team in CC. They are the only team besides Clemson and Notre Dame that even has a chance to get to the ACC title game. I'm telling you, they're going to kick Florida State. But next week, they are the gave up 15 yards to Louisville. But a lot of that came with the game was over for the most say. I just look at this team. I think I, we talked about it in, in the text tonight. This team is really big. It's not just athletic. They've got some huge dudes. They're like one of those teams that you see them coming off the bus and you're kind of scared of them. You know what I mean? And I just look at that size. I look at the speed. I look at the athleticism. I look at what Derek King's been able to do. I look at Cameron Harris. I look at Brevin Jordan. I look at that defensive line, which has been really good even without Gregory Rousseau. And I sit there and think about what that unit could have been with him if he'd been playing. And man, I am just, I'm on board. I'm Michael Irvin and Ed Reed and everybody <laughs> right now. I'm throwing up the U. Get me the turnover chain, the touchdown rings. I'm, I'm fully on board with the Canes. This is, this is right. When, when you get this excited about the Canes now, that's, that's when they pull the rug out from under you. They're not doing it this year. Canes are back. They're not going to beat Clemson. They might beat Notre Dame, though. They might beat Notre Dame. Are they playing Notre Dame this year? I well, hope they are because they might beat them. Well, it, it's interesting you mentioned Clemson because so the Florida State game is next week. It'll be another Saturday night national television spotlight without Mike Norvell, who has right. tested mm -hmm. positive for COVID-19. Coaching we'll be, from a crane. We'll be spending some time uh, away from the team. Uh, who, man, I'm, I'm sorry to not give the uh, the credit here, but did, didn't somebody ask whether or not he had – 
met all of his players one by one to tell him <laughs> that he, he had yeah, that was that was our managing editor Adi Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to you, Adi. That made me laugh. We always want our coaches to have personal relationships. I'm kinda glad that uh this one was was not announced in that way. But I I after the Florida State game, which again we assume that Miami should win, they get a week off. And then after that, they go to Death Valley, and it'll be championship game. Three and O Miami against four and O Clemson. I cannot wait. I can't wait. They do not play Notre Dame, unfortunately. So if they do play the Irish, it'll be in the ACC championship game. Uh, next weekend, the next weekend gets real across the slate. We get SEC yes. joining the they're joining the fold. We get some legitimate. Like interconference games, it's gonna feel like a real weekend next weekend. Did uh, it did felt, it felt like a real weekend to me this weekend? Honestly, the games weren't like headliner stuff, but I felt like there was enough interesting games. And I mean, like I said, Miami made me feel the tingle for the first time. But there was enough even in the lower, you know, the this bottom tier games that made me feel like, all right, this this was a college football Saturday again. Um. Are we so speaking about teams that have made their first impressions? Are you going to look at Boston College as this is the jump off point for the Jeff Halfley era? Because at the beginning of the way that game went, I saw Duke mostly uh, shooting itself in the foot, Duke really uh, missing on opportunities when they got them on offense, having bad penalties having just bad coverage busts on defense. They weren't all that disciplined, and and BC just kind of made them look stupid out there at home. I mean, and, you know, we can insert all the jokes you want about Duke in a home fan environment, no fans or whatever, but, like, I I thought that for BC, game one, Jeff Halfley coming into Durham, it was encouraging. Yeah, I thought, I mean, what I liked from what I saw from BC was – the, they caused chaos on defense. They were getting in the backfield. They were messing things up. And it's, you know, kind of like what we saw from his defense at Ohio State last year. So he's brought that with him already. But I don't think Duke was very good. So I don't want to take this and think that Boston College is going to have a really good season. I was surprised by the performance. I wasn't surprised that they won as much as I'm surprised that they won in the fact that a six to six win with you, Chip. Duke didn't look very good to me. And I think that BC might be a solid team. It might four or five wins this year if things go well. I think Phil Yurkovic had a very promising start. I mean, he was 17 to 23, 300 yards, averaged 13 yards per attempt. And I think that, you know, we were joking around in the pod last week about which schools would trade their quarterbacks for James Blackman. And we said Boston College might. After watching them today, I don't think Boston <laughs> trade your conviction. I mean, I think they're happy with the guy they got. Duke might be more interested in it, though. <laughs> James Bryce wasn't all that great to me today. So, yeah, I, I think this is a solid win for BC. I'm not going to get you know too excited about them going forward, though. BC Duke is is top of my list of games in the in the DVR the the TiVo that I need to that I'm planning on firing up. Because I didn't get, I, I saw like first quarter action there, and then I like I look up at the end of the day and it's like, wait, and they won twenty six to six and like mm-hmm. forced five turnovers and Phil Dracovic had three hundred yards passing and whatever that number was you said like seventeen of twenty three or like that that sounds entirely more efficient than I would have anticipated for for him and so. Uh, I'm I'm anxious to see it, and and I think that that's I do think that's a very encouraging sign. This is a new staff. This is a staff that didn't get spring ball. This is a new offense, a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback. Um, I think I've laid out that they have a lot of pieces offensively, but th- I mean, th- this all my principles this weekend on the locks. I I, I put I pushed hard on the COVID era principles. And On they the didn't practice. really, they did not really pay off. And so this was one of them. Like, I don't re- quite know what to make of this result, given what we had learned the previous two weeks. Shout out to Zay Flowers, too, by the way. Big play machine for the Eagles. Caught five passes, 
162 yards. He averaged 32 yards a catch. Damn. Duke wasn't ready. You, you're going to come out of uh, the DVR rewatch, like certainly encouraged by the juice. And like, if, uh, and I'm guessing, yeah, since you DVR'd it, you'll get to get everything from the broadcast, right? Cause Jeff Halfley yes. was just, I mean, you're a big Jeff Halfley press conference guy. I mean, his halftime interviews are phenomenal just cause oh, they're, I can only imagine. yeah, just cause they're six feet distance and masked up. Doesn't mean you can't feel the energy <laughs> right. that he's pumping right. into that thing. But, uh, yeah, man, I just, I, I thought Duke was all out of sorts. It was disappointing. Like the big man. hook of my Duke prediction was I thought it was a coaching mismatch and I, I haven't really done the X's and O's view of this, so I don't want to go this far, but at least in terms of like how focused dialed in and what kind of energy these teams were playing with, it was definitely an advantage to Boston college. And so that's a, uh, that's a very good sign for Jeff Halfley. I'll tell you what I did like is there's a lot of, from what I did watch, and I don't know if this is representative of the entire game, but there's a lot of under center, like uh, two tight ends, Maybe some three tight end stuff. Like I saw a lot of like, like uh, line of scrimmages that extended like hash to hash, and just you know, I, I think um, I, I was I was pleased to see that mentality from Boston College, and it wouldn't have felt right otherwise. So David Bailey, the Boston College running back, is like two hundred and forty five pounds or something like that. <laughs> so they just he averaged two point eight yards per carry. You know, just a bowling ball <laughs> that they just throw. There. <laughs> uh, all right, what else from the day stood out to y'all? Uh, I could talk about Notre Dame destroying your beloved Bulls. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Chip. Are you trying to just, just avoid that conversation altogether? So I can celebrate one of my five lock wins? I mean, I don't want to <laughs> gloat out here. <laughs> No, uh, Notre Dame looked a lot more impressive today than it did last week against Duke. Like it was, it was funny because I look, I was thinking back to last week's game against Duke, where they started the game with three straight three and outs, couldn't do anything on offense. This game, they started with four straight touchdown drives to start the game, and they didn't have to punt until the third quarter. And by that point, Ian Book was already out of the game. Drew Prine, their third string quarterback, had come in. And so it, it was just that kind of day for Notre Dame. And it was also that kind of day for South Florida, who their very first punt of the game, he, the guy Schneider shanked it. It was like a 20-yard punt. And that was probably the best thing that happened to him all day because later there was a snap over his head that he was able to run back, get, and get his foot on for about 20 yards before you know he got tackled. But still, Notre Dame started at the USF 25. And then in the second half, another snap went over his head. This time he got the kickoff, but wasn't so lucky that Notre Dame blocked it and then recovered the ball in the end zone for a touchdown. So this game was every bit the 52 to nothing score that you see in the box score. It was just, it was like domination from start to finish. What is our expectation? Um, I don't. I, Chip, go ahead. I don't. Ha, I don't have any thoughts on the Notre Dame game. Chip, do you want to? Do you want to um, uh, offer up some, you know, words of solace to your boys in Tampa, or are you just going to again like duck your head and pretend like this didn't happen? It is a great learning experience for this team <laughs> to be able <laughs> to see what a championship caliber squad looks like, because. You know, we're, we're in, we're in lose big, right? Lose big, right. lose small, right. yeah, win small, win big. big. <laughs> we're in the lose big era. And this is a great formidable moment. And, and I will, I will go back on, uh, the idea that when I expect USF to be somewhat like resistant at all, or uh, in terms of defense, it's going to be, on the strength of their secondary when they get a matchup against a team that's just trying to sling it around. Like, they get some short possessions. They can put the ball back in the hands of the offense. I really like their secondary. It, I think it is one of the most exciting things about their team. That is not what Notre Dame's going to do. And so, this is always a bad matchup. But, you know, 
I'll go back. But but that's why I'm going to give them. I'm still not going to count them out to cover the spread in the war on I four. When UCF comes out there just trying to sling that rock around and it turns into a seven on seven game and rivalry, let's go. Give me the Bulls plus 27 and a half. Lock it up. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? Um, as that score started to like climb up on my, my game cast or whatever, um, was, you know, that Notre Dame staff, particularly that defensive staff had they faced Jeff Scott before in the college football playoffs and ended up on the, the other, you know, the wrong side of that score. Sure. I can, I just sort of can imagine them like sitting in the, sitting in the coach's box, you know, Clark Lee or whoever, and just being like, yeah, all right, all right, coach. Like, Hey, where's T Higgins now? (laughs) Where's, where's Trevor Lawrence now, buddy? How you, how you liking life now? Yeah, you're on your third quarterback when you used to just be able to like hand it to Trevor Lawrence and tell him to go figure it out. How you like that goose egg over there? Speaking of that, it was funny because like the NBC broadcast, because you know, Charlie Weiss Jr. is on South Florida staff and they were showing Charlie Weiss Jr. in the booth a lot and the NBC booth, uh, Paul Burmeister and Tony Dungy were being like, overly kind to Charlie Weiss Jr. And I'm sitting there thinking there are a lot of Notre Dame fans watching this game at home right now who are not feeling the same way, even though Charlie Weiss Jr. had nothing to do with what his dad did. But it's like, they're like, no, drag him, drag him. (laughs) Man, when does Charlie Weiss Jr. get old enough that he's no longer a novelty? Uh, He is, what is he, 27? Yeah. He's 27. Uh, uh, I think he's, this is his, I mean, if he doesn't score, start scoring some points, the novelty ends immediately. You know, I think he's the cute, Hey, he was a 24 year old coordinator. Like that's all well and good, but for lane, right. Wasn't it lane's yeah. first year he brought him mm-hmm. on. Yeah. 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 He's been on the 24 seven sports, 30 under 30 coaches for like the last three years. He's going to, we're going to retire his name this year. So I hope he does. Hope he does well. <laughs> Uh, Barton, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. What else was uh, on your mind? No, no, you didn't cut me off. Um, I do. I wonder um, as I, as we see Liberty pull off a nice thirty to twenty four win over a quality Western Kentucky squad. You know, I think it's it's yeah, we might want to keep an eye on the Hugh Freeze watch. You know, just the Hugh Freeze watch. How? How good is Liberty this year? Are they going to make? Are they going to splash it up enough to where Hugh can get his his name in the mix for some renegade Power Five job? They've got some chances. You know, they're going to play Syracuse. They're going to play Virginia Tech. They're going to play State. They got NC State on the schedule. Uh, I think the fact that they beat Western Kentucky at least gives us a glimmer of hope that Hugh Freeze is going to be you know, kind of floating his name out there somewhere along the way. So is I'm that just, for uh, content? Like, or, or is that just like intrigue and in content? Because it, that's <laughs> just like, you say glimmer of hope. And I gotta say that, like, I don't, you're I don't over the, you know, you're yes. done with the Hugh freeze era. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not done with, you the don't want to see, you don't want to see any more, uh, you, uh, fire and brimstone sermons, um, pregame. <laughs> To, to just get you get you going. I had way more fun with Robert Kim Dietschy in the hotel room and Laramie Tunsil in the gas. We could have that again. <laughs> we could have all of that again. <laughs> Jumped out a window. <laughs> you know, coming for that job. Um, that what job? Went for that Vandy job. Oh, Hugh Freeze at Vandy. No chance. Oh, that would be beautiful. <laughs> School, no F O, no F O Y A. That's true. Yeah, that's true. He he should absolutely be thinking private schools only. <laughs> Liberty was a great decision. Uh, um, yeah. I, I was, let's see what else from uh from my notepad. Uh, we. Well, saw, I didn't. Well, go ahead. I didn't get to see any of uh, Syracuse Pitt because I didn't have an ACC network log at that point. So was there anything from that game that, you know, was worth taking away? Pittsburgh's offense has uh, 
many of the same frustrating tendencies that have limited it in the past. And I think that uh, Jordan Addison had, had a nice little flash play. Your boy, mm-hmm. Barton, freshman wide receiver for the Panthers. But it was still very much like a that 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 group still has some ways to go. Like if if you got your hopes up because of the way they looked in the first half against Austin P, then the sort of inconsistencies, the way that unit sputtered a little bit, definitely showed that there's room for growth left. It's, it's still going to be a group, uh, still going to be a unit that's led by its defense. As Syracuse's only touchdown was on like a. 50 yard play like a 50 yard one-off play everything else Syracuse couldn't move the ball at all yeah it's uh Pitt still like Pitt is, is still very much Pitt like <laughs> it, is, it is it's don't make no mistake like they have not become something other than Pitt uh they're still a good version of Pitt but they're still Pitt and the defense was great Syracuse allowed seven sacks for the second consecutive week um but yes, offensively, as someone that was that had money on Pitt covering twenty one and a half or whatever it was, uh, I kept on I kept on waiting for the offense to take off, and they never did. And uh, you know what? To 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 Syracuse's credit, like they they keep on playing pretty hard on defense. Like, I think that that's I think that that Syracuse defense is to be commended because they hadn't gotten squat out of their offense and they play pretty good football for two straight weeks. Cause remember they were in there with North Carolina for what? Three quarters, 10 to um, six to start the fourth. Yeah. I mean, so, um, I, I think, you know, Tony white, their new defense coordinator, um, is, is, you know, I, I think he's, he seems to be a good hire. Uh, so I, I think the, the defense is going to give him a chance. Um, I will throw down a big disappointment for App State's performance against Marshall. Uh, I thought that, you know, like we look at Zach Thomas and we've talked about him being like a winner and him being around and him being a leader. I, I thought he had a bad game. I thought he was a little bit of a limiting factor. Marshall did a great job of stuffing the run and that sort of zone running scheme that App State wants to wants to put into effect. And when it came time for a lot of third downs and third down and longs, Thomas was struggling. He, he did not have a great game against this Marshall defense. And so the Mountaineers uh, really struggled offensively. And if, if that means that Marshall's defense is awesome, then it's kind of like a hello, like, wake up call to the rest of conference USA because it Brendan Knox, their running back was awesome in this game. And if you were looking at conference USA and if we're thinking that what we, we believe UAB, we believe FAU, uh, may like maybe Western Kentucky. I don't know. Like who, uh, what maybe Western Kentucky, maybe FIU is always dangerous, but I, I think that this is a, a really, really good Marshall team, at least in terms of being able to dominate at the line of scrimmage, run the ball well, play good defense. And, you know, I there were so many opportunities for App State. They had a long touchdown run called back because a knee, like, hit the, hit the ground for a second. The mm-hmm. Mike Evans, the wide receiver, was running with the ball, about to score a touchdown. He got punched out, recovered by Marshall. There were so many opportunities for the Mountaineers, but to me it just comes back to the fact that they could not do what they wanted to do and they did not have a good counterpunch. So uh, disappointing result for App State. I don't think that's going to be the case in every game they play, but if we're talking about the Sun Belt being fun, then you know this is a little bit concerning to have this kind of result at Marshall. You know, what, what sucks for Marshall, too, is, you know, they, they, they beat Eastern Kentucky, they beat App State, but they've had their East Carolina game postponed. Their game against Rice was postponed. So they started off 2-0, and and they've looked pretty good in that 2-0 start, and now they're off until October 10th. So, so it's like any kind of momentum that they have going forward is probably going to be completely gone by the time they play again against Western Kentucky. But, yeah, App State... That was I didn't get to see a ton of this game. I had it on an extra screen, but I was live blogging the Notre Dame South Florida snooze fest, and I was also <laughs> paying attention to the Georgia Tech UCF game. So I had this on like the third screen, so I didn't see a ton of it. But what I did see, I, I'm with you. It was just 
App State really didn't show me anything that I would, you know, feel good about. There was the long run where his knee was down at the line of scrimmage pretty much, and then he took off for like the seventy-five yard score that that got that came back. But that was like the highlight of the day for the Mountaineers for me, and of course that play didn't count. So I don't know. The Sun Belt might be a little more open than we thought. Sun Belt's wide open. Sun Belt, Sun Belt is the greatest. No weeks conference off in, in the Sun Belt. That's right. No weeks off. Yeah. Yeah. Georgia State said you don't walk in. You don't walk into uh, that <laughs> baseball stadium. <laughs> you don't walk into the Ted thinking you're going to cover 17 <laughs> against Georgia State. Come on, <laughs> Louisiana remains undefeated by the skin of their teeth, winning in overtime 34-31 against the Panthers. Uh, one one more week. Brandon asked me during that game. He says, "If Georgia State pulls off this upset, do we have to rank them?" <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, I mean I, I think Marshall might show up at 25 Marshall's got a better chance yeah, of showing should. up at 25 than Baylor does 0-0 zero and zero Baylor which was the, the top team in other receiving votes last week it's funny the SEC teams aren't getting punished because they haven't played yet but teams that have games get cancelled because of COVID <laughs> are getting punished by the voters <laughs> Oh, that's you're moving down three spots at a minimum on my ballot. If you get any positive tests, no discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't field your offensive line for this, for this matchup against Houston. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right. We will be back on Monday afternoon and uh little, little bit of breaking news here. We are going to be on CBS Sports HQ a lot. So CBS Sports HQ, cbssportshq.com. Uh, you have been watching us on it uh, in spots, but now we've got a time for you. It's 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be coming at you live, a 30-minute show. It's, it's going to be a little bit of the podcast. It's going to be a little bit of HQ. Uh, it's going to be extended coverage, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. And so make sure that you tune in on weekdays, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. It is the Cover 3 podcast, but on CBS Sports HQ. And so, uh, and so make sure you check that out. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.